Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 36. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. This is the word of our God. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Emerald. Um, good morning to you, uh, again, and, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Uh, as Carol Ann mentioned earlier, uh, my name is Eric Lipscomb, and I serve as a campus pastor uh, with RUF, Reformed University. Ooh, that's not going to work. Uh, we're going we're gonna to use this guy over here. Um, and I just want to say, if you're here and you are a university student, um, we are so glad you're here today. Um, and, and Caroline mentioned, but uh, if you're at Columbia... I'd love to get to know you. Um, if you're not at Columbia, you're at another school, um, I can still help you get connected with uh, other REF groups or other campus fellowships uh, that are here in the city. So um, please do come say hi after the service uh, or, or send me a, an email or you can direct message us on Instagram, uh, whatever the case may be, whatever works well for you. Um, now today uh, we are wrapping up our Summer Psalm series here at Redeemer and we're going to listen, uh, look at this text that we just heard from Emerald, right? Psalm 36. Psalm 36 was written by King David, and like all of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 36 is a song that the ancient Israelites would have sung in their gathered worship together. Uh, it, it's this song uh, that was basically part of their hymn book. And, and so these songs, though, they don't just merely express, you know, adoration or uh, devotion to God. Uh, that, that actually singing these Psalms uh, was and is a significant means of spiritual formation for the people of God. Right? What the Psalms do is they remind us that we can go to God in any and all circumstances, right? That through the Psalms, we learn how to mourn, that the Psalms teach us that it's okay to express your disappointment and even your frustration with God, 
Um, but of course, they also then, you know, they train us to delight in God, to, to treasure his word. They do all these things. And so we need the Psalms to form us. Think of the Psalms as like a spiritual chiropractor that is bringing you back into proper alignment, showing you what it means to live as fully and properly human. Okay, so, so now thinking back to Psalm 36, thinking back to what you just heard, or maybe you just read if you, if you have the bulletin with you. Um, maybe you noticed it, maybe you heard it. Uh, there is a, a really sharp contrast that exists. Uh, it's not divided in the bulletin, but you could almost draw a line straight through at the end of verse 4, right? Dividing uh, verses 1 through 4 from verse 5 uh, and the rest of the text. Right? There's this cl- pretty clear break, this clear shift. And what I think David wants us to see, what he's trying to show us, is that there is a sharp contrast, there's a sharp difference between the trajectory of a heart that is set on yourself, on the one hand, and, and on the other hand, the trajectory of a heart that is set on the covenantal love of God. Right, David is trying to show us these are completely divergent paths. One goes one way, one goes the other. And he's going to show us where each of these trajectories lead to. And so he starts spelling this out. He says in verses one through four, he's showing us the trajectory of a heart that is set on yourself. Um, now, reading those verses, I was reminded of something I got to do uh, earlier this summer. Uh, at the end of every school year, uh, we get to take students to uh, RUF's National Summer Conference down in Panama City Beach, Florida, uh, affectionately known as SUCO. Uh, and it's amazing. It's, it's like my favorite thing we do all year. Um, when, you, when you go there, there's times for worship, there's times for teaching, uh, but there's also times just like enjoy the beach and, and play in the crystal blue water of, you know, the Gulf of Mexico. It's awesome. Uh, and one of the nights, we, we do this activity. It's called a silent disco. Uh, all the students are down on the beach, and we're doing a silent disco. Now, if you don't know what a silent disco is, uh, you've never heard of this, you've never seen it, uh, what it is, it's a dance party where everyone is wearing wireless headphones. And so when you're, like, when you're outside the crowd, you're looking down on it, it just kind of looks like chaos, like people are just kind of moving and grooving. But if you're in the crowd, and, and, and you know, you're in the party, and you've got the headphones on, you can choose your own song. Right? You can like, pick the music that most resonates with you, uh, and then you can dance to it. And so everyone is there together, uh, but each person is actually doing their own thing. They're, they're following their own beat. They're, they're dancing in the dark. Now, uh, you know, as a, as a dance party, the silent disco is awesome. Um, but as a metaphor for your life, as a metaphor uh, for how to go about life, going your own way, right, choosing whatever resonates with you, uh, with no outside input, we're just kind of flailing around in the night. Right? I think actually that is exactly what David is warning us against here in 36, in Psalm 36. This, this tendency we have to go about dancing in the dark and where that actually leads us to. Right? Now, why am I talking about this, this you know, kind of choosing things that resonate with you? Well, um, just a quick note, if, if you were to have a physical Bible in front of you uh, and you look at the end of verse 1, you, you'd notice there's this little footnote there. Uh, and it points out that, you know, maybe rather than translating this as, you know, David saying, I have a message in my heart, um, a number of scholars, this guy Derek Kidner and many others, would render the Hebrew here instead as sinfulness resonates with a wicked person in the center of their heart. And so what I think David is, is actually trying to say is that the thing or the song that we resonate with most, that we're most comfortable with, is, is what he calls sinfulness. Okay, now that, that's like a, a super churchy word. Um, so what is sinfulness? What does David mean here by sinfulness? Well, when the Bible, if, if you read throughout and it describes the human condition, right, you know that maybe you know that the state of our hearts apart from being right relationship with God uh, is, is what it calls sin. And it would say that, you know, left to ourselves, we don't actually choose uh, what is the best way forward. Um, that, that left to ourselves, our heart aren't just like neutral, kind of blank slates 
blank canvases uh, that we get pushed in one way or the other, that uh, it would actually say that, that fundamentally our hearts are set on ourselves. And, and the result of that is that we go our own way. We go away from God and we go our own way. Right? That's what the Bible calls sin or, or sinfulness. And so, uh, you know, you can maybe rephrase this as something like, you know, self-interest or serving self above else uh, is what resonates with the center of our hearts. Right? And, and so he goes on then, David does, uh, to explain what this looks like. Uh, he says, it looks like having no fear of God before your eyes, or at the end of verse 1. Um, and, and what that means is that instead of honoring God, instead of acknowledging his authority, instead of looking to him for guidance, uh, instead, I'm going to be the one who calls the shots. Right? I'm going to pick the music I resonate with, I'm going to dance however I want to, uh, and I will bristle at anyone or anything that might try to limit that personal freedom. Right? Now, now, I think it's also easy to look at this and say, well, you know, he's talking about the wicked here, is he not? Right? Isn't he talking about those, those bad people over there? Uh, you know, of course, the implication is like, what about, you know, good people like me? And, you know, again, we, I understand the, the you know, wickedness is a, a strong word. It's harsh to our ears. Um, it's something we want to, like, dissociate from. That's, that's not me. That's, those are people over there somewhere else. Uh, but I actually think that if you, if you understand what that is, that, that David is challenging us here because he's referring to anyone who would choose not to acknowledge God. Right? It is not just the villains of the world. It is also the good people who insist on self-sufficiency. Right? Who, who what, what he says, lack a proper fear or, or a sort of this reverent awe of God. And, and the way you know that that's, that's you or that might be you or that someone is, is this recognizable symptom is a heart that dances to its own beat, that holds your own opinion, that holds yourself in higher regard even uh, than God. Now, and this is why I referred to this, you know, this silent disco earlier, right? That, that it's this metaphor for both our own hearts and as well as just the cultural climate that we live in. Right? That, that we tend to view ourselves as the highest source of direction and authority. Right? We love the idea of personal autonomy. You know, you, you hear it all the time, right? You do you. Right? This has become one of our highest cultural values. And, and when we say this, we basically mean, you know, each person should be free to choose whatever they want to do and no one can challenge that. And so, in 2023, it's actually a little shocking for us to hear David here naming this as something that is sinful, as something that might be wrong. Um, and, and I understand that. I, I get that. You know, just to, in a very real way, this, this, this sort of you do you, follow your heart, right? It, it sounds super appealing. I mean, of course, we should do the things that resonate with us. Right? Of course, this is, is the path to complete fulfillment and joy, is it not? And yet, I think what David would say is that at this point, our hearts actually resonate with the wrong things, right? That, that our hearts were actually made to be tuned to God's direction, right? That you were made to dance to the rhythms that God has sounded out in his word. And so if your heart is set on yourself and is not set on, on God and his love, then it's like you're following a broken compass, that the one is not calibrated to true north, right? It's not that it's, it's wrong all the time. It may work sometimes, but it, it is actually fundamentally broken. It will ultimately lead you in the wrong way. And so, and so going your own way, following, following your heart, as opposed to following God and his will, is what resonates with us. But it's this trajectory um, that is ultimately leading us uh, to find comfort and pleasure in actions or attitudes that ultimately damage yourself uh, or damage other people. Uh, let me try to, I'll try to give you an example. Um, so, you know, if, if you're at a, uh, a competitive school or you're in a competitive work environment uh, where there is a lot of pressure to succeed and achieve you know, you've got to hit your quarterly KPIs or you've got to, you know, maintain a really high GPA or whatever. 
um, then there also often is accompanied with that uh, a significant temptation. And that temptation is to figure out a way to game the system, figure out a way to gain an unfair advantage, figure out a way to maybe even cheat. And, 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 and you sort of hear that inner monologue, you hear that maybe in your heart. And, and because the, the pressure is so intense, uh, you maybe even feel justified in heeding that monologue. You, you think, well, you know, others are doing this too. And if I don't do it, I'm just going to fall behind. This is going to help me get ahead. And I think I can get away with it. So I will follow my heart. I will, I will skirt the rules. I mean, it feels right. And so, so you do it. You get ahead. And, and, you know, maybe in your mind it's even just a victimless crime. Like, no one else was hurt. It just helped me. But I think in that moment, what has happened is that you've actually moved further away from God. You've moved further away from his intentions of what it means to be fully human. And in some small way, you've actually deformed yourself. Because if it's true that we are people made in the image of God, we are made in the image of God, a God who values integrity. Right? You've deformed yourself in some way. And so even if you don't see it, it also is doing harm. It's doing harm to others as you are deriving benefits at their expense. Even if it's not seen, if it's unknown. Right? You see, we, we tend to think dancing to our own beat, going our own way, making myself the arbiter of what is good and true for me is going to result in more goodness, more fulfillment, more joy. But if, as David suggests, that our hearts are some way fundamentally disoriented, then what does this pursuit actually result in? Well, it's what David goes on to lay out, in, in, particularly in verses 2 through 4, right? Instead of, instead of leading to satisfaction, these sort of self-serving desires seem to end in delusion and trouble, right? The effects of this trajectory are delusion and trouble, right? He says, verse 1, right, having no fear of God before their eyes, in their own eyes then they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin, right? And, and so he's been talking about the heart, but now he starts talking about our eyes, right? And so if the heart sort of represents the core of your person, kind of the seat of your affections, then the eyes, you know, very naturally uh, represent how you see and understand uh, both the world and yourself. And what David is saying is that a heart set on self results in a distorted vision of yourself. So a, a, a disoriented heart set on yourself results in a distorted vision of yourself. Right? And it's not just like, you know, you need some uh, minor correctives, you know. Uh, it, it is severe, right? We might even call it spiritual blindness. Right? That we would say, you know, your eyes are darkened. You are looking at the world through the lenses of yourself. You're, if you're not looking through the lenses of acknowledging God, then you cannot possibly see yourself or the world clearly. And yet the biggest problem, though, is that you actually think you are seeing yourself clearly. You think you are seeing the world the way it is, the way you are. Right? In, in, in verse 2, this, the, the fact is we are often blind to our blindness. That we think we are seeing well. And so the, the spiritually blind person here is walking around with a delusion that no one else uh, is seeing as well as I am. No one else sees myself as clearly as I do. No one else sees the world as clearly as I do. While also simultaneously excluding facts or ignoring undesirable realities that we don't care uh, to, to notice, that we don't care to mention, that we don't like. And we're people who tend to, to hide and cover up. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. 
If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. And, and I think this should particularly challenge us here today. If you're here and you, you just tend to think you're a pretty good person. Because I, I just wonder, is it possible, at least possible, that you're simply flattering yourself in your own eyes? Right? Do you need, feel the need to paper over your failures, to sweep them under the rug in order to prop up this good image of yourself? Right? Are you hiding the reality of your brokenness from other people? Right? Are you trying to hide it from yourself? Like, why do you feel the need to lie or deflect when somebody asks you what you're struggling with? Why, why do you not have the freedom to share that? Right? And, and, and again, in the moment, all the posturing and the self-deceit may uh, feel good. It may, uh, you know, help you maintain appearances out in the world. Right? But it is a delusion. Right? And it is bound to spiral into trouble and into isolation. Right? And that's how David, the, the verses continue. Right? He's sort of showing the downward spiral in verses 3 through 4. Right? And so in verse 3, again, you're, you're in this, uh, this heart set on self. You're further down the road. Uh, and now we're turning away from goodness and wisdom. We had, we had been turned towards it maybe at some point, but now we've just turned right away from it. Right? We use our words to propagate untruths. We, we, we use them to tear other people down instead of building them up. And then in verse 4, he shows the end of this road, right? Somebody alone on their bed, just kind of scheming in the dark. Right, this person fully committed to the path of autonomy with no willingness or ability to discern what is right and what is wrong. And so the end of verse 4, right, you're at the end of a heart that is fundamentally set on self. Right, insisting on going your own way, dancing in the dark, stuck there in this little room on a small bed, right? You know, if, if, if this were set in New York, it'd be a closet. We'd still call it a bedroom. Uh, but here he is, right, stuck in this, this tiny, dark room. The world has shrunk down to the size of yourself. You're stuck with your own petty thoughts trapped in this sad little place. And then David comes in, verse 5, and boom, right, he blows the roof off that sad little room. Right? And he shows us the, the, the stark and vivid contrast. He explodes out of that miserable little cocoon to give us this beautiful and grand vision. Right? He's saying, if you will set your heart on the covenantal love of God, right, you can live in this space. Instead of walk, dancing in the dark, you can live in the light. Right? And he gives us this picture of what life in harmony with God can look like. And, and obviously, again, verse 5, starting there, is this incredibly different scene. Right? The, the goodness of God is portrayed as this vast, you know, majestic, full HD, panoramic landscape. Right? David says, you know, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. Right? The, the, the image in my mind is like, of, I don't know, of like flying over, uh, you know, the Pacific Ocean, right? You have the Great Deep, and then, you know, eventually you get to the Swiss Alps. I know they're not that close, but okay, work with me here. Um, right? you're, you're flying, and you can see forever. You're getting to experience and enjoy this breathtaking view. Right? And, and did you hear how David began this section, right? He said, your love, Lord. Your love, in verse 5. Right? Now, what you need to know is that the... the What's going on here, this is not just like an ode to love generically. 
uh, like one, like, a, like a you know Shakespearean sonnet maybe or something like that. Um, as great as those are. Um, Something you see, if you look at this passage in Hebrew, um, and you sort of see it in the English, but if you look at verse 5, where you see love, uh, you see verse 7, it says unfailing love, and then again in verse 10, the word love, um, that there is this word hesed, right? And, and if you look at other translations, it's often rendered as steadfast love, right? What we might say is loyal or committed love, right? And, and so more than just the feeling of affection, right, hesed is this profound love that entails both radical generosity uh, and enduring commitment. Right? And then this is this fundamental aspect of God's character. And, and so often, as, as, as you see, if you read throughout the Old Testament, right, hesed refers to this ever-present and unfailing loyalty that God has for his people. Right? It's the love of a God who makes and keeps promises, who is unwavering in his commitment to you. It's the love of a God to which you know, marriage is meant to give uh, this picture uh, right, Hesed is committed, faithful love. And yet, unlike human marriage, uh, God is always the one who remains faithful to us and to his covenant, right, even when we are not. Um, if, if you, if you want to see a good, great picture of what this looks like and you have a free 10 minutes on your subway ride home, uh, you know, pull up your Bible app on the phone or, or Google it uh, and read the book of Hosea. Or read the first couple chapters of the book of Hosea. Right? It's this amazing picture of God's Hesed, where he tells Hosea to go and, and take this spouse who is not going to love you in return, but you are going to be committed to her, and even when she runs away, you are going to chase after her and bring her back. Right? And it's this amazing picture, right? It's this embodied illustration of God's hesed, his covenant love, it never stopping, never failing love. Right? And that, I think, is what is amazing about God's love, is that, that unlike my love, which is, has, you know, if I'm honest, has limits, um, God's is unlimited, that he is committed to people like me whose hearts are fickle and are prone to run away, right? For, for people who are prone to go their own way, God looks at the person dancing in the dark, singing their own song, and he never wavers in his care or his kindness or his goodness towards that person on account of his hesed, right? His enduring, promise-keeping, ever-loyal love. And so David, David describes uh, God's hesed here in verses 5 through 6, right? stacking these images, stacking these characteristics of God in order that we might get a sense of the magnitude, right? the, the magnitude of God and the magnitude of his hesed. Right? This steadfast love is as high as the heavens. Right? He wants you to know that with God you are as secure as the mountains, as secure and as immovable as Mount Everest. Right? Or you are, his ways are inexhaustibly deep as the, as the ocean. Right? But then in verse 7 he's still talking about this hesed, this, this covenant, steadfast love. Uh, but the tone shifts. He, he then says, oh, how priceless or how precious is your hesed, O Lord. Right? And, and it's much more intimate. It's much more personal. God wants you to know that while the loyal love is, 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 it is great to grasp, it is too great to grasp, it is also too good for you to let it slip away. Right? And, and he's saying this is God's hesed. It is precious. It is, it is the God who takes you under his wing, who provides refuge, right? He invokes the image of the mother bird who gathers and protects and provides, willing to give up her life for the sake of her chicks, right? You know, if dancing in the dark is sort of characterized by this kind of primary self-interest, you know, I have to be the one to look out for myself, I have to, you know, protect myself, right? Then here, living in the light is actually anchored by God's self-giving, his parental concern for you, 
Right? And what that means is that you don't have to be so self-concerned. Right? That, that God promises to care for you better than you can care for yourself. Right? Now, that's not to say that, that life won't, won't have hardship. Um, if you know anything about David's life, you know he spent many years on the run from Saul and his armies who were trying to kill him. Right? He's not saying this is, this is going to make things easy. But he is saying that God's protection is here and it is real. Right? The Lord is your shelter from the storm. He gives you a place to rest. Right? His care is there. But not only that, God is also generous. In his hesed, he invites us to feast abundantly with him. Right? You see that in verse 8. Right? They, they imagine, you know, in my mind, there's this medieval king who has thrown open the gates. He's let down the moat. He's invited the whole town in to enjoy this amazing wedding feast. Right? The, the great meats, the wines, the, the cheeses, the pies. Right? People, you know, things are laid out on long tables. People are dancing. They're talking. They're laughing. Right? It's this picture of life with God. And in all of this, God is promising you that he will give you the refuge and refreshment and delight you so desperately want. Right? He's trying to show us that the steadfast love of the Lord will quench your thirst for meaning and significance. And so you're invited. You're invited to come, to taste and see, to give it a try, to come and drink from the river of his delights. Right? This echo in verse 8, again, of, of the Garden of Eden, the, the wholeness and delight that you were made to experience, to know in communion with God. And so all of this is the trajectory of a heart that is set on the hesed of God and, and on, on the Lord. And so we understand then why in verse 10, uh, David would make this, this plea. He would, he would make this, this prayer. He said, O Lord, continue your love to those who know you, the righteousness to the upright in heart, right? David is pleading with God. He's saying, Lord, please keep demonstrating this steadfast love to us. Lord, I want to see more of your faithfulness. I want to know more of your generosity. I want to experience more of your kindness. Right, for David, this is his earnest plea. It is, it is a heartfelt plea. But what's beautiful here for us today is that David's plea in verse 10 is actually a promise for us. Right, now, now how, do I, how do I know that? Well, following what we just saw on the heels of what's come before, you know, having extolled the intimacy and the abundance of God's hesed, right? David ends those verses in verse 9, and he says this, For with you, Lord, is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. And if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, and, and, and you know the trajectory of where God's hesed uh, is going throughout the Old Testament, um, then you recognize something when you get to these verses because you know it's pointing towards something else. You know it's pointing towards the beginning of the Gospels. You know it's pointing towards the story of Jesus. That if, you, if you've heard John 1, you've read the beginning of the Gospels right there. What do you see? You see uh, John saying this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of one and only Son of God, full of grace and full of truth. Right, this is the culmination of God's ever-loyal, unfailing love. It is of his hesed. It is his sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He is the fountain of life. 
Right? Jesus is the light by which we see and understand all goodness and truth and beauty. Right? And you see, really, that's the whole story of the entire Bible, that God is so committed to people whose hearts are set on yourself, right? going your own way, running away from him, that he never stops loving those kinds of people. He never stops loving you. And instead, he doubles down on that love. He sends his son Jesus to pursue us, to, to go on a search and rescue mission, to pursue those who are intent on going your own way. Right? He, he comes to bring us back into the loving arms of the Father. And it is a costly mission. Right? It cost Jesus Christ his life on the cross. Right? That is the nature of God's hesed for his people. This is his love for you. His costly, enduring, willing to go to any lengths, love to bring you home. God's heart is set on you. Jesus' heart is unwaveringly set on you. He has proved it through his life and his death and his resurrection on your behalf. And so now, if you are one who sets your heart on Jesus Christ, if you set your heart on this light of the world, the fullest expression of God's hesed, his steadfast love, his covenantal kindness. But it sets you on a different, it sets you on a better path. Right? You begin to experience then God's light, right? That sort of second use of light in verse 9. Right? This fullness that comes from walking with Jesus. Uh, one commentator noted it this way. He said, though it cannot be isolated from its other connotations of purity, clarity, and joy, uh, light here at the end of verse 7 mainly suggests joy. In the light of Christ, do we know true joy? And so that's what I think David wants us to grasp here. That it is only in the light of this covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, right, this light of Christ, his hesed, that we can truly make sense of the world and ourselves and experience true joy. And so Psalm 36, it's a song of contrasts. Right? David's laying out the trajectory of a heart that's set on self, uh, and he's laying out the, uh, the trajectory of a heart that is set on the hesed of God. Right? A heart that is dancing in the dark versus one that is living in the light. And so where are you today? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to abide? My friends, as just as, as a last word, um, take this as an invitation. Take this as God welcoming you. Take this as Jesus inviting you out of the dark shell of self and into the expansive light of his enduring love that you might know his deep joy. Will you take him up on it? Let's pray. Lord God, we uh, thank you for your steadfast love, um, your love that never ends, that endures forever that pursues people like me uh, who, would, who would otherwise rather run away from you. Lord, I pray that when we're tempted to do that, you would uh, challenge us, you would convict us, uh, not just to chastise us, not to beat us down, but to draw us back, to draw us back to you, to draw us back to your son Jesus, to draw us back to the joy that is found in him. Lord, we know it is true that in only and in your light do we experience joy, do we see uh, the light of your truth. And so, God, I ask uh, today for, for this, this, even this fall, um, that these friends, we would, we would know this reality. We would know your steadfast love. We would rest in it uh, and that it would grow and change us as we do. Lord, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you 
for your steadfast love. We pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.